Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning again. My name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and, 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 and welcome again. A bunch of us are just back from Virginia Beach, and uh, whoo, yes, the uh, Virginia Beach fans, um, and the uh, Vineyard Mid-Atlantic Cl- uh, Conference, including uh, your worship team here, who uh, trekked through some, some sickness and congestion and just absolutely... Uh, Honored God Thursday morning, a great worship session, and I know uh, Tim just, you know, taught himself silly um, in a couple of sessions there, and, and it was a great time. But uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch here, right, last week we kicked off this series on the names of God called What's in a Name? And uh, I want to assure you guys, before we go too much farther, if you're just joining us this morning, you have not wandered into like a Theology 472 class <laughs> or an upper-level calculus class, okay? We are simply looking at all of the names of God because the, just the name God is, is so overused and it's used by so many people to mean so many things. We want to know the names of God that it uses uh, in the Bible so that we can get a deeper understanding of Him and have a little bit deeper relationship with him through it. And so we found out that there's there's one God, but he does indeed have many names. And they're, they're like facets of a diamond. They're facets of his character, that each one of them represents a different part of who he is. And we, we want to know that so that when we have a very unique situation, when we have a specific way that we want to want to call on God or something very in particular is going on in our life, we have a particular way that we can talk to God about these things. And so last week, if you remember, we talked about Elohim, uh, the, the strong creator God, and we learned that Elohim is creator, Elohim is restorer, and that Elohim is, is rest. And so we're going to continue right in that first First part of the Bible, the, the book of Genesis, and we're going to go as far to go to chapter 2. And so that's probably page 2 in your Bible if you want to, want to find our scripture this morning. But we're going to be in Genesis 2-4. And if you remember, we, we uh, decided on a translation agreement for the series because uh, I and probably most of you, I'm willing to bet, do not read in original Hebrew. Uh, and that can be... Problematic because our English Bibles translate all of these wonderfully rich names of God to simply God or Lord God or, or something simplistic like that. And so to get the real fullness out of it, we need to do kind of a kind of split the difference thing. And so we're going to replace where it says Lord God with the, with the name of God this morning. And so in Genesis 2-4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heavens. And so what we've replaced Lord God with is Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim. 
And this name Jehovah is the most used name for, for God in the Bible. It's used over 6,800 times. And so that's almost three times as many as, as Elohim by, its, by itself. And in Hebrew, it would be written like this. I think we have a picture of that there. And that's, that's actually four consonants because there's no, there's no vowels allowed in there. And if you looked at it, it would probably be pronounced Yahweh. Anybody heard of Yahweh before? Yeah, we know that name, right? Well, that's, that's the Hebrew way of pronouncing it. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot behind that for, for the Jewish faith with that particular name. There's a reason there's no vowels in there. Because they're not actually allowed to write the name of God down. Because a piece of paper might someday be destroyed or, or it might somehow be disrespected if it's written down. And so, so they don't even write this down. And we're going to find out that's really an ironic part of, of this name. That um, it's so holy that you can't even write it down. But um, there's, there's another side that as well. But anyway, in English, we translate this as Jehovah. And so that's what we're going to work with this morning. It comes from the verb to be. And if we could translate Jehovah fully, we would see that it means I am. The name of God that means I am. And what it really means is what we're going to dive into this morning. So let's pray and then we will jump in. Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, indeed Holy Spirit. We ask that you come this morning, that, that you reveal yourself to us, not just in your word, but in a very personal way this morning, Lord, as, as only you can. That Holy Spirit, you come and reveal like this so that, so that God gets the glory. So that, that our praise rises up to him and that he is able to work in us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you open minds and hearts and, and that you give me the gift of teaching. That you use my lips you use my words that, that are really your words. So uh, help me to get out of the way this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have you ever been in an absolute stranger's home? Anybody ever find yourself on an occasion to be in a, in a complete stranger's home? I, I'm not talking about what some of you may have done last night. I'm talking... <laughs> Like for one reason or another, you, you, you go to someone's house who you don't even know. And see, me, that always brings up a bunch of questions, right? Like as soon as I see somebody's house, I'm like, I want to know stuff about them. I want to know who they are and, and why this and why that. Uh, when I lived in California, we took a little trip up the coast to uh, San Luis Obispo. And there's a place there it was... Uh, a big, huge mansion, and it's built by a guy named William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst was um, the king of this huge publishing empire. At one time, he owned virtually every newspaper in the United States, biggest publishing empire ever in the United States. And so he built this house, and it's so big, it has a name, right? It's San Simeon. And uh, that's a really nice house when it has its own name. But as I looked around and at all of the Greek antiquity and the imported marble and there's gold leaf on there, there's a little representation of the Acropolis in, in this guy's pool. pool goes half inside the house, half outside the house. And by the time you get up to the study in there, it is just this crazy like Baroque 
I don't even know the name of that architecture. It's just opulent. It's just like out of control, right? Like this guy just dropped money because he could. And so I had a lot of questions about why you would do something like that. I wanted, it made me curious. I wanted to know. And the tour guides could tell me a number of things. They could tell me, you know, where the imported Italian marble came from and what year this was started. And they could tell me all kinds of wonderful facts, but they couldn't tell me why he had done any of this. The other thing they could tell me was, please don't touch and don't dare get off the tour guide. They were really, really clear about that. Don't touch anything. But it really made me curious. And so as I sat to do the the preparation for this message, and I thought about Adam, right? Adam in Genesis is placed into this wonderful, immense, beautiful, lush creation. And I think, you know, some things must have gone through Adam's mind. Like, why? Who's, who put me here? Why am I even here? What's, what's up? What's going on? And I tell you, I, I, Adam's great. But I don't think we're all that much different from Adam. You know, I, I really don't. I think a lot of us have been put in creation. We're put in life today and we're going, why and who do I ask? Why and, and, and how do I even figure this out? Because, you know, if we only understand creator as Elohim, like we talked about him last week, if we only know God as this incredible creator that just chunks us down in the middle of this beautiful place or scary place or whatever perception we have of the world right now, we can be left to, to kind of come to our own conclusions, right? It's the same way I, I did with, with Mr. Hurst after seeing his house. I, I, don't, you know, I formed some conclusions about him. I have no idea if they're right or wrong. And I can't ask him because unfortunately he's dead. So when we're left to to our own conclusions, it can turn out like this. Albert Einstein, some of you may have heard of him, said this. It says, it seems that the universe is governed by a set of scientific laws. One might say that these laws were the work of God, little g, but it would be an impersonal God who did not intervene in the universe apart from setting the laws. What I meant when I said we would know the mind of God was that if we discovered the complete set of laws and understood why the universe existed, we would be in the position of God. One could define God as the embodiment of the laws of nature. He's drawn his own conclusions. And certainly what we do know is that Elohim did speak these laws into existence, right? Scientific principle and fact and the laws of nature are good. And Elohim created them as he created order out of chaos. And that's what scientific laws are, right? It keeps order in the midst of chaos. Something always falls down. That's a law. And those things are good. But there's a problem with laws and and principles and things is that they don't interact with creation and they're unable to interact with creation and I think Elohim had much much more in mind 
I think he wanted to personally know his creation. And, you know, we get the first glimpse of that. You remember last week I said, you know, Elohim isn't just randomly zapping things into a planet-sized terrarium. Now, he does speak everything into existence, you know, light, mountains, oceans, all of these things he speaks into existence until he gets to Adam. Adam, he does things a little differently, right? He speaks the dirt into existence, and then he takes that dirt and he breathes life into it. And so right from the beginning, Adam is a little different. And, and he even, Genesis 4 says, he speaks to Adam as Jehovah. Now, he speaks to Adam as Jehovah. And so who is, who's Jehovah? And your first fill-in is this. Jehovah is a person. Jehovah is a person. And you stop and say, wait a minute, Brad. <laughs> People are created, right? And, and, and so how can, can the God who creates and he's a person, it doesn't work like that. In fact, here's the deal with Elohim. Elohim is able to speak things into existence, right? So when he says his name, I am, he speaks himself into existence. He's the only person that can do that, as a matter of fact. He's the only thing so far outside of creation that he creates himself just by speaking his own name. But this morning, I, I don't mean person like, like a flesh person like, like you and I. I mean a person as an individual with a mind, emotions, and a will. And I, I mean to speak of Jehovah as a person in, in, in that sense. Uh, Genesis 2 reflects all of this. And we know that uh, Jehovah has a mind because in verse 9, he's been thinking about Adam. He's been thinking about what Adam would like and what would be pleasing to him. Verse 9, it says, he puts things that are pleasing to the eye and good for food in the garden for him before Adam is even there. We know that he has emotions he has desires and he has things that he, that he wants for Adam because in verse 15, it says he put Adam in the garden. He, he placed him. He intentionally put him there in this wonderful place that he created. And so there's a way he feels about Adam. And we know that he has a will and he particularly has a will for Adam when we look in verse 16 and we see that Jehovah commanded Adam and so there's some things that he, he has a will for Adam. He wants him to do some things, and there's some things he doesn't want him to do. But I think the greatest way we can know Jehovah is, is really a person is that in verse 18, he, he really brings this deep personal intervention for Adam, and he says, It is not good for man to be alone. I would make a helper suitable for him. Jehovah Elohim has this desire to know and be known by his creation. And he wants his creation to feel that way about him. He wants us to reflect that just as much as Adam. And so he gives Adam this gift of a companion so that you can understand what it means to know and be known the way Jehovah wants to know and be known infinitely even, even more. 
And so I don't think that it's that Jehovah is flesh and bone and, and blood and sinew and, and all of those things, but it's that he has the personality of a person. He acts like a person, and he's personable with his creation. And so the question is, how do we get to know the person? You know, and for that matter, how do we get to know anyone, right? We know, we know a lot of names, and if we only know him as a person there's plenty of people in this room this morning and I don't know some of you (laughs) at least and some of you don't know anyone else and you know that they have a name and you know they have a person so that really doesn't help much and then you add on top of it that we don't know a lot of people that are right in our lives because let's face it we get busy and we have this little thing called a comfort zone anybody have a comfort zone yeah, I got one too. We don't like to go outside that, do we? And so there's all these people. There's all these stories going around. There's all this creation. But we're like, man, that takes, you know, <laughs> that takes something to step out and, and get to know people. And so we, we get busy and, and, and we don't do it. And we cover up that thing that, that Jehovah put in us and that is part of Jehovah himself. And maybe we do that until something happens. But, you know, I think there's a great example of this uh, in the Bible. We can really look at Moses. Anybody know the name Moses? Kind of a big deal in the Old Testament, right? Um, We're going to pick up Moses here in a second. I want to give you a little bit of his background. But where we see him in chapter 3 coming up, he's, he's, he's hanging out. He's living life after this Egypt thing, which we'll explain here in a second, but he's just being a farmer and he's just working and he's doing his day to day. He's just doing his day to day. And so he has fallen into the routine of work, eat, sleep, get up, do it all over again. And so he's resigned himself to this routine so much so that God started this wonderful story in Moses. Do you remember how Moses' story begins? Moses is born as a Hebrew in Egypt at a time when Pharaoh, the the man who proclaims himself God, is getting a little uncomfortable with how big the Hebrew nation is. So he says, listen, from here on out, any Hebrews have male children, kill them. And Moses is lucky enough to be born into that. But what happens is is his his mom and and I think his sisters take him and they hide him um, somewhere down on Marsh Walk, I think. Um, (laughs) in the reeds and he's he's okay there for a little while until the daughter of pharaoh himself comes along discovers him and she you know has this cute puppy reaction it's like oh we can't let him be killed and so she takes him back to the palace and he's actually raised as an egyptian right in pharaoh's house which how ironic is that right educated protected this whole time raised as an egyptian and he's actually out over the hebrew slaves he's actually out Helping to supervise them. And some of you know the story is that, well, he's out there one afternoon, an Egyptian beats a Hebrew slave to death. And Moses can't help but be angered by this because he's figured out by now, you know, he kind of looked at his skin, he looked at the Egyptian skin, and he goes, hmm, okay. (laughs) And he's angered by this. And so he kills the man that struck down the Hebrew. And then he goes, oh, what'd I do? (laughs) 
What'd I do? That wasn't cool. So he takes off, right? And he goes out to the countryside and he finds some of his relatives and he proceeds to hang out. And by Exodus 3, chapter 3 in Exodus, we find out that Moses has been hanging out for 40 years tending sheep. This educated person who has been in the presence of a man who calls himself God and has now spent some time with his family finding out who the Hebrew God is, is just hanging out. Because I think Moses, like a lot of us, is just lost. He just, he doesn't know what to do with all of this. He knows he can't go back. He doesn't fit with his own people. He knows that he certainly can't go fit with the Egyptian people. So he's just going to stick with his routine. He feels like an outsider. And some of, some of you can relate to that this morning. You are just so stuck in your routine because you don't know what else to do. You know you don't fit over here and you know you don't fit over there. And so I'll just keep doing what I know to do. And that's where God says, "Mm, nah, dude, I started a story with you. (laughs) I started a story with you when you were born. And so in Exodus 3, he appears to Moses as a burning bush. And the burning bush gets Moses' attention because it won't burn up. It just stays there burning. And then it really gets his attention when he hears his own name called out of the voice. And Moses says, here I am. Here I am. And so God proceeds to have a conversation with him. And he gives him all sorts of instructions about some things that he wants him to do. Including go back to this guy Pharaoh. And go back to his Hebrew people and tell them some things and do some things with them. And when he's asked, this is the only time Moses gets a little, you know, not even skeptical, but a little questioning, right? I'd had it way back when I saw the bush. <laughs> I'd be like, yo, what's up with that? But this is when Moses finally, finally begins to inquire of God. And in 14 and 15, he says this, Jehovah said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Jehovah also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Your second fill in is this. Jehovah is who he says he is. Jehovah is who he says he is. And you know, when we approach Jehovah as who he says he is, he continues the story with us. He tells us more. You know, Moses had a chance to do a lot of things. He could have stopped and he could have said, no, 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 wait, this is going on Snapchat. We, you know, I, 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 that's, I don't know what's going on here. He could have said, there's a very scientific explanation for what's happening here. This is obviously a case of spontaneous combustion on right through it he could have put that burning bush in a box that he understood he could have put jehovah god in a box that he got but he doesn't do that and i think when we define god 
in ways. When we find that box that God fits in, where now I can relate to God because God thinks like me. He likes the same people I like. He hates the same people I like. I'm really happy with the God I've got in my box. We start calling him co-pilot God. We start calling him Jesus, my homie. You know? And we define God and we define our relationship with him instead of letting Jehovah define this relationship himself and let him say who he is. Because he goes on to tell Moses, some really wonderful things, but, you know, the danger of us defining it is this, and a guy named John Lennon, anybody know who John Lennon is? I have to ask, if you're young and you don't know who John Lennon is, call your mom, call your dad this afternoon, they'll love you for calling him and ask him, say, who's John Lennon? And they'll tell you about the Beatles and who John Lennon is. John Lennon said this, he said, I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. And John, I'm sorry, but I don't think Jesus, Muhammad, or Buddha would agree with you. (laughs) Because they said some very specific things about themselves. Jesus said some very specific things about who he is. God has said some very specific things about who he is, starting with I am. And we can miss his great promises. That part that, that you know, I'll let you go home and, and look up in your Bibles what it means that God says, I'm the God of Abraham, or I'm the God of Isaac, or I'm the God of Jacob. Those are incredibly important things to Moses as a Hebrew and as a person. This is, this is Jehovah saying to him, I know you. I know you and your place in this lineage. I know the family. I know you. And we haven't talked in a while, but I know you, dude. And I have a place for you. In all of this, it's a very specific thing he's telling Moses. He's not just saying, hey, I'm this great God. He's telling Moses in a way he can, he can understand it. And, and so I want to ask you this morning, you know, what, what does Jehovah need to remind you of this morning? What burning bush are you perhaps walking right past because it doesn't fit in your box. What, what part of God are you not seeing? Because you got him so tucked away into that place where he's everything you understand, it's everything you have a grip on, and it's everything you know about him, and it can't get any bigger, and it can't certainly get out of that box. You know, the real beauty of the burning bush is your third fill-in, and that's this, is that Jehovah is relational. Jehovah is relational. You know, he could have just let Moses hang out until he figured it out, right? And some some of us are kind of like, you know, 
God will let me hang out until I figure it out. It's fine. But Jehovah's relational. You know, he could be like so many other gods. We know of so many other gods in the world, and I don't even have to limit this to money, power, sex, or, or whatever it is. There's all kinds of mountaintop gods that we know about, right? And they all sit up on the mountain and they say, here's how you get to me. And if you're lucky, you can get through the list of rules of how to get to this God. You can get, the things, get through the things you have to do and the things that you can't do and the things you have to do twice and seven times on Thursday. And you can work really hard to get to that top of that mountain and you can find out that you may never even get there. Or if you do, you're worn out when you do. Or there's gods out there that say, you know what? It's all about the technique. If you can learn to breathe right, if you can learn this set of exercises and twist your body into this, you will find the posture that I speak to you in. For me, that posture is often pain. You're not doing it right. And when you can't find a relationship with God, it does come down to that. You're not doing it right. There's something about this. You're not doing it right. And that's why you can't find God. It's because he's not up at the top of the mountain. Jehovah is the personable God. Jehovah is the God that wants to know you. Remember I said it would be ironic about the way his name is written, that he's the most holy thing in the entire world. But he wants to know you. I can never wrap my head around that. The God who is entirely holy other is also the God that wants to come down the mountain to get to you. He wants to meet you at the mountain so you can know him. And for some of you, you don't even know where he'd meet you. If you had to imagine right now, where would Jehovah Elohim meet me? You can't think of a place because you haven't left any space in your life for him. You haven't left any space in your brain for him. And you just can't figure out why. There's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons, but, but I can give you one. I can give you one. <laughs> Doesn't get you off the hook, but... Genesis 3. Anybody know what happens in Genesis 3? Everything goes south. <laughs> Everything in the world goes south. Creation's going along well. There's this one thing God said, one little thing Jehovah Elohim told Adam and Eve. He said, you can do anything you want. Anything you want, except this. You can't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? One thing. And Satan appears to Eve as a snake and he gets her to start questioning that. And if you're reading your Bible in English, this is going to go right, right over here. But if, but if you, you look at it like this, you'll see this. In Hebrew, Satan speaks to Eve and he says, Indeed, has Elohim really said? And what he does is he's real slick. He cuts that Jehovah part off of the name. 
and he leaves it at just Elohim. He's trying to take that part of the relational God and put it out of Eve's mind. So she's okay with everything that he's about to, to kind of nudge her into doing, right? Because now she doesn't have to worry about her relationship. Now she doesn't have to worry about the fact that, oh my goodness, this is going to break God's heart. This is going to break Jehovah Elohim's heart. He only put two people in the world and he knows both of us really well and I'm about to break his heart. See, Satan pulls, pulls that part out of it. He gets to, to concentrate on the Elohim part, the creator, the magnificent, glorious power that is somewhere up there speaking things into existence. See, here's the thing with Satan. He doesn't mind a little bit of religion. In fact, a little bit of religion is perfect for him because that keeps you at a distance from God. That keeps you stuck in this. God is creator and creators are great and powerful and wonderful and they have no interest in little old Brian. And yeah, sure, he created me and he gave me a name and he threw me on the planet. And I think he just left me to my own devices to draw my own conclusions. When we get stuck at Elohim, we can go that way. And Satan loves for us to go that way. He loves for us to have a little bit of religion. He would love for us to forget that there's a God in heaven who's good and wonderful, powerful, and he's good and wonderful and powerful, and he loves Brian and he knows me. And he wants me to know him. And he wants you to know him. Relational Jehovah will do anything to reveal himself to us. Relational Jehovah authored our purposes and wants us to walk them out with him. With him. Last year I was at the the Vineyard Conference as well in Columbus. And uh, at the end of all of the sessions we go and, and we have ministry time. And I had fully intended at the end of this message to go and get prayer for I'm sure something going on in my life. And when I went up front, there was a young man up there. And uh, I'm like, wow, he's, he kind of reminded me of my, my son. And uh, I looked at him and I realized he was not having a good time. He looked dejected and depressed and, and, and clearly distraught. And he wasn't crying, but he was close. I thought, okay, God. So I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, man, is there something I can pray for you? And he just looked at me like, yeah, sure, why not? Whoa. <laughs> I said, what's up? What's up? He said, man, to tell you the truth, I'm about done with this Jesus thing. Which is an incredible thing to say considering that he was at a church conference. So I'm about done with this Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you're about done with this Jesus thing? He says, man, I go to school. And the people who who don't go to church, then I know they make fun of me. They tell me I'm stupid. And what did the spaghetti monster tell you this morning? The great spaghetti monster in the sky? He said, you're an idiot for what you believe. He said, then, and then I go to my youth group. And some of the kids in my youth group tell me, you're taking this way too seriously, man. Just, just chill. 
got no chill, dude. Relax. Have some pizza. Play the video games. We don't have to have a message every week or whatever. He's like, so I'm just about done. I got no place to go. And I was about ready to cry. And I heard God tell me, ask him if he knows about his name. And I'm like, your name? He said, no, his name. Putz. Because <laughs> when I don't get it right with God, I, that's what I hear him say. It's probably actually me. God wouldn't talk to me like that, but you know. So, oh, okay. So I looked at his name tag. And his name tag said Caleb. Anybody know the story of Caleb? Yeah. If you don't, you know, some of you don't, don't know it. Moses, right before they get to the promised lands, pulls up short and he says, okay, before we take the entire Hebrew nation in there, I'm going to send some people over to check it out. So he sends 12 guys, 12 of his best guys. He sends them over there and, and they come back and they say, man, 10 of them say, it is really awesome. This God surely must have designed this. There is a land of milk and honey. There's things there that, you know, we don't even know what they are and they look really good to eat. And the things that we do know to eat are just awesome. The dates are like the size of camels. And it's great. But there's one problem, right? There's these dudes, and I'm pretty sure they're 95 feet tall, and it says they're, they're going to squish us like a bug. They're going to squish us like bugs. We can't go in there. Two guys, two guys say, yeah, that's true. But God promised us this place. And if, if Jehovah promised us, then we're going to go in. He's going to give us this land and we don't need to worry about the 95 foot high guys. You know, those two guys were one of them was Joshua and he would take over for Moses later. And the other one was Caleb. And I told that story to Caleb. And he brightened up. See, he, he had forgotten that God has purposes for him. And he made him with a plan. I don't think it was a coincidence that those two names matched. But God took that opportunity to remind him that he knows Caleb. He doesn't just know some 17-year-old boy. He knows Caleb. Jehovah is a person. Jehovah is who he says he is. And he's relational. We're going to pray this morning. And we're going to talk to Jehovah. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.